Welcome to Let It Ride with True North, the podcast where we interview people in trucking. Whether they're drivers, family, or simply in the industry, we're here to spotlight them in their experiences. I'm Milan, the Community and Engagement Manager here at True North, bringing you real conversations and stories you won't find anywhere else on the road. Let's ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show. Today is a very special episode of the podcast because today I am the guest, and I am so excited that Jen has come back for another episode, so she's going to be my host today. So join us as Jen asks me about my obsession with food, my love of Broadway, and the power of asking. Let's get into it. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I am excited too, Milan. I've been listening to these podcasts and you get to interview people all day, every day and learn their stories. But I don't know if these people know how fun of a story you have. And I'm really excited to dig into that today. Yeah, I'm really excited to fully take the spotlight today. <laughs> you are great at the spotlight. So I'll start with an easy one. You obviously host the True North podcast, Let It Ride. What is something surprising you've learned from our drivers? Oh boy. I learned that they're super sweet and they all have their idiosyncrasies that make them different than every other truck driver. When I found out about Lon and how he listens to his truck instead of listening to music in his truck. That was like wild to me <laughs> because I don't know how you can do that day in and day out and still be like the nicest person in the world. And he's very upbeat. I feel like all, every truck driver I talk to has a different story, has a different background. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've encountered. And what else have you learned from hosting a podcast? So I use a editing software that will highlight every single word as it goes. And now, regardless of if I am podcasting or just in my life, I see that in my head. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So there are times where if I'm editing for a long time, I will say to myself, cut that part out. That's not necessary. Cut that part out. And I will intentionally leave spaces in my head like don't say that <laughs> it's not necessary so I have an editing brain now but I know what makes a really succinct story and I've always been really good at storytelling it was very easy for me to be an editor yeah I'm seeing how well you have hosted like events at True North and I don't know if your podcast listeners know this but before you launched the True North podcast you led all of culture and community at True North. So you would organize these Zoom meetings because we launched in the thick of COVID. We have been and always will be a mostly virtual company. And so you will corral dozens of people over Zoom to share their feelings and feel like they belong. And it's a really special skill. So maybe let's talk about that. What is a, what is one of your favorite events that you have hosted while at True North? It could be podcast or virtual or in person. So first of all, I love sitting in vulnerability. I feel all my feelings so deeply. 
classic drama geek. And we'll get to that later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so anytime that I can make a crowd of people super vulnerable and emotional, I will do it tenfold every time. <laughs> the one that comes to mind is our last True North birthday. And I made everyone fill out this Google form and it was one's name and you could put any kind of compliment, anything that you felt like you wanted that person to know. So everyone got a little box of candy and then like a little note on top and then you opened it and it was a bunch of these cute little compliments. And one of the cool things about being the person that, that does this is that you get to see everything behind the scenes. You get to see everyone's compliments. You get to see what this person is to other people. So I spent a lot of time just like reading all of them and just being like, oh, everybody loves each other. And it made my day. I still have that file. So sometimes I just read it anyway, because it just, it's so, it's so sweet. And to have everyone be a part of that and to take time to compliment and to feel a little bit emotional about someone that they've never met, really. I've just felt like that was really special for me. Yeah, Milan, that was really special for the whole company. So I moved out of my apartment a few months ago and we sold all of our stuff and I don't own anything. Everything I own fits in like a five by 10 storage cube somewhere. Your printed compliments are in that storage container. Like I hung on to it and I got rid of everything that I own because it was so special. Yours was specifically, I remember it was like three pages or something. It was very long. Like everyone else had a page, but people had things to say about you, Jen. I remember like making the font smaller. That laid it on the page. I'm glad that you kept it. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was a really special memory. So thank you for helping me make that. So you've been here over a year, almost two years, and you've done so many different things. Have you learned anything at True North that you have applied elsewhere in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So True North has helped me in a lot of ways. Number one, I found my love of interviewing. I've always been a very inquisitive person. I like to ask questions and people fascinate me. If someone interests me, I will drop everything to just get to know that person. And I think I really got to dig in deep about people here more than any other company. So my love of interviewing has definitely come from True North. So I have decided in my personal life to do that as well. I wanted to keep it a little balanced. If I'm doing a bunch of podcast episodes at work, I want to do that in my personal life. And so I actually ended up creating a interview session called Art Chats. And this is because I'm an artist. And so on my spare time, I interview other artists and I thought of this because a lot of artists, they don't get interviewed unless they're making billions of dollars or maybe they're not even famous until they're dead. So I thought of this as a way to recognize other artists. And that's all of the things that I've learned from True North. Like everything that I've hosted, I was not hosting things before True North the way that I am now. 
I was hosting live events and I've been an office manager and I've done birthday parties and happy hours and things like that, but never something where you really get to dive into the psyche of an individual. And it's crazy to me that you had not done this before because it comes so naturally and you do this even when you're not being recorded. It's just who you Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you, you mentioned you're a painter. Let's talk about that. We at True North in the San Francisco office were lucky to walk over to Tartine, which is a really famous bakery here. And up on the on the walls above the bakery, every single painting was a Milan Allen original painting. And that was so cool. And you only paint food. Is that right? Yep. I only paint food. Okay, so so many questions. One, how did you get into painting? Two, how did you get into painting only food? Was it did it evolve or was a banana the first thing you painted and you said, I'm in love. I will do this forever. <laughs> oh, I wish it was like that. Yeah, I've always been a creative person. Painting was never my first love. Baking was actually my first love. That and performing arts, but that's like a whole other side. But up until the point where I could successfully use an oven and not burn the place down, I think it was around, around nine. I was like constantly baking, being able to create something out of nothing. That was like very intriguing to me, but I didn't find painting until about four years ago. I had a habit of taking classes at the San Francisco Art Institute. And so I was just, I call it artistically in heat. I wanted to try everything. So I took every single class I could. I took an oil painting class and it was just intro to oil paint. So up until this point, they always tell you, you're going to draw this landscape. You're going to paint this person. It's always figurative or if it's a still life, it's like the typical still life of the grapes and the peach or the whatever. So I finally took a class that they're like, paint whatever you want. And so... I was just drawn to food. At the end of that whole class, I looked at all of my work and all of it was food. I stuck with it. This is clearly what I want to do. My brain just wants to go towards food. And I became a food painter and I never looked back. That's awesome that you didn't plan it and you got to the end and you looked back and it was just all food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anyone meets you in person, they will see that your clothing also tends to have food on it. Not that you're a messy eater, you got crumbs on your shirt, but like print of cute little eggs on your skirt, I remember very vividly, or like cherry earrings or things like that. When did that start? Yeah, I think that I love the aesthetic of food. To go all the way back to Milan's childhood, I watched a lot of cooking shows growing up. And I was watching Julia Child and Jacques Pepin, which no one knows who is absolutely great. If you ever need another like old school cooking show, watch him. He's excellent. And so I was watching a lot of cooking shows and I got really frustrated with the idea of never actually tasting the food. You just get to look at it a bunch. And they say that it's so good and whatever. And as a kid, that really frustrated me. So I got used to seeing food and not eating it. And I, it stuck. 
with me all the way up until now, where now I'm just constantly looking at food. Whenever I get it, I look at it for a really long time, like visualizing how everything gets put together. I sniff food a lot to see what it smells like before I taste it. I'm all over the place. Like it's, it is every single sense for me. I have seen you sniff your food and thought that's just in the lawn. I didn't even question it at all. <laughs> yeah. So do you like to cook at home still or are you tired of food and who eats what you cook? I cook. I order in a lot because I really believe in having really good food. And though I like to experiment a lot, there are some things that I won't touch. If it's a cultural thing that I just won't get, like I don't, I try to make my own chow mein. I can't do that. I'll try to do it once. And if it turns out like somebody who doesn't know <laughs> how to do Asian cooking, then I guess it's ordering time. So I have heard you like to experiment, but that you hate following recipes. Is that true? Yes. I don't like following recipes at all. <laughs> I don't like following recipes because recipes are rules. And I don't like rules. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> I follow recipes up until a certain point. I would say I follow 85% of the recipe and then I'll randomly put other things in. And for a while, I was putting alcohol in like basically all of my baked goods. Every time I made cupcakes for someone's birthday or my birthday or an event, it would always have alcohol in it. And so one of my favorite things that I made was Midori sour cupcakes. Those are so Oh, I need some of those. Yeah, they were so good. I don't know how I made it. So that's like a problem. Tragic. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't follow the recipe. You make something, you're like, oh, it's so good. And then you try to recreate it and it's, it doesn't work. We lost the magic. Yeah. Is there anything else like that where you just like accidentally created something that you didn't mean to because you were experimenting? Oh, let me think. I'm sure there are plenty of creative things that I've done by accident. <laughs> I'm looking around the room. Half my room is a studio, so it just has a lot of art stuff. So I'm like, maybe one of my art things in my closet will yeah, spark my... Yeah, let's talk about that. So look around your room. What do you see? What does the home of Milan look like? Oh, okay. So on one side is all of my work stuff. So like my desk, my printer, and like an array of open foods, <laughs> an open dried mango plastic bag, some Chex Mix. There's some like cubes of cheese here. Afro Man, I, this is a very hard thing to describe. Afro Man is a velvet painting. I did not do this. This is actually in my grandmother's house. She was like super into the 70s and her house was like a time capsule. So she had this velvet painting of an Afro man who's like doing these tribal drums and Afro man lights up. So the tops of the drums light up if you plug it in. And he has been in my houses. He's traveled with me in every single house and he's prominently displayed wherever I go. He's wonderful and I love him. What is a velvet painting? 
You don't know about velvet paintings? It's like a big thing in the 70s. If you look up velvet paintings, they're always of like sexy women. Elvis. Lots of Elvis velvet paintings I see. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is that. But mine is of an Afro man and he's in his element looking down at his little drum set and just going to town. My family was evicted from our house. I was a teenager and I was living at my grandmother's house at the time. And they were like, you need to grab everything that you need as quickly as possible because we only have a month to relocate. And so they're like, what would you like to take from the house? And so I took Afroman and honestly, he brings me a lot of joy. My partner hates it, but... That's why it's in my studio. Love it. Yeah. And now you have to keep him, take him everywhere you go forever, obviously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's been on a lot of adventures with me, for sure. You grew up in SF, right? Born and raised? Yes. Oh, talk about that. What was that like? Whenever someone asked me what was San Francisco like before the tech boom, I say, <laughs> it was great. Please leave. It was a great place to live. I loved living in San Francisco. I no longer live in San Francisco. I live across the bridge, but I loved it. It was a small town. My mom knew every person on the street. You felt this really big sense of community. I knew every waitress that I would, every coffee shop I went to or wow. place we went out to, it was like that. And there, there are plenty of things that... I really appreciate about San Francisco that are no longer a part of my experience there. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to leave. But I just didn't want to become a crotchety old person who was like, it's not like it used to be. So I was like, I better just leave <laughs> to enjoy my life instead of living in the past and let San Francisco be whatever it wants to be. Because one of the cool things about San Francisco in general is that it never stays the same. It's wonderful in that way. And so I got to have this really great experience with San Francisco. I got to grow up and be the person that I want to be, this weird, eclectic, stubborn tornado of a person because San Francisco allowed me to be that. And so I owe a lot to what it was like. But I have moved on and now I get to be that weird tornado of a person somewhere else. As you get older, do you think back and are there parts of your childhood that you really want for your own children? And if so, what are those? I think at a young age, music is something that is just so prominent in your life. I remember when I was a kid, being able to memorize an entire song was like really important to me. And having songs that accurately portray how you feel was very important to me, but also just being in tune with your emotions. I used to work at a school and when I was working there, I would allow a lot of my kids to really just sit and say like, how does that feel? How does it feel to do this? How are you feeling right now? And changing my tactics based on someone's emotions. That was a, it was a big lesson for me, but I felt like it was also a big lesson for them. Because when you're a kid, you only really know about 
five emotions. As you grow up, you start to learn things like melancholy or nostalgic or you know, all those complicated adult emotions. Obviously, I'm empathy everything. So I think that's something that I would definitely want to instill. Also creativity, like so much creative stuff. <laughs> be the most creative person you can be. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love to dig into your childhood a little bit more. We've mentioned earlier that you are a theater geek. And I think you did like, you're musically inclined, but also involved in drama and I'm sure other things. What was your introduction to that in childhood? And that could be like music or theater, any of the above. Yeah, so... My dad is a local playwright. That's really freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's been writing plays for 30 years, probably more than that. And he is really interested in old school plays. He would get me into Greek mythology. He got me into the art of storytelling. And I am a firm believer of a good story. I collect stories. Because that is, I don't know, I feel like it's currency to a lot of people. I know that data means a lot, but there's something about a good story that can honestly be more engaging than any kind of data. So for me, that was, that's a prominent thing in my childhood is being able to fully understand the story, also to be able to retell it in a way that engages people. And then, so how I ended up going into theater in general, or becoming a drama geek, as you say, I watched a lot of musicals growing up. And honestly, at the very beginning, I hated it. <laughs> you hated it. Yeah. Yeah, I hated it. My dad would make me watch like West Side Story and I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> at what point did you start to like them? I think he started too young, to be honest. I liked watching Sound of Music because Sound of Music had kids and it made sense. King and I is also another one. It also has kids. When you're a kid, you see yourself in that. But adult things like West Side Story, Oklahoma, things like that. I was like, I don't understand. People are just dancing around for no reason and I don't get it. <laughs> I had to be in my teens, I think to really start to understand musical theater. And we always watched the Tonys every year. We weren't like a sports family. We didn't have a big gathering thing, but we definitely watched the Tonys every year and we wanted to know what was winning. But we didn't see a lot of shows. I think I was really on the movie musical train, but I remember the first time I saw King and I, that was a big deal. That was my first Broadway show and just seeing the whole thing come to life. I remember I was in the balcony and it was enough for me to feel like I was already in it. Was there anything you remember as really formative in your early years as like inspiring you to be creative? Because you're one of the most creative people I've ever met and you pair it with wanting to make people cry with joy. Yeah. You like the emotional shit. Do you remember something inspiring that? First of all, my mom is highly emotional and wore her heart on her sleeve. So that's where all of my emotion comes from. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so she always allowed me to have creative reign. 
like anything that I wanted to do creatively, my mom was definitely down to support. So I have really fond memories of running up and down fabric aisles at Fabric Outlet in the Mission or arts and crafts stores or going to a big grocery store. We had a lot of themed food nights. We'd have sushi night. We'd have personal pizza night. We'd have breakfast for dinner night. When my sister was learning about Greek mythology in class, we had Greek night. So we really had any kind of artistic reign in that house. And I remember my mom taught me how to sew throw pillows when I was sick. So I had something to do when I was bored. And to this day, I still love going to arts and crafts stores or specialty grocery stores to feel like inspired. Just, and that's all my mom. That's everything that my mom taught me. My mom also had her own craft supplies that we weren't allowed to touch because she knew that we would ruin them, which only makes you want them more. Like now that I'm an adult, I completely understand. But when you're a kid, it's like, <laughs> I would probably do the same thing to my kids, though. I was a very loud, and I like creatively loud, and maybe actually loud. <laughs> <laughs> loud in all senses. Yeah, loud in all senses, yes. I Yeah, I was always a really loud kid. I loved taking up space. So I have an older a sister and a younger brother. And so I'm a middle child. And I think I realized that I need to take up a lot of space because otherwise I wouldn't be seen. <laughs> I think I was probably, I don't know, four or five. We weren't allowed to watch TV while we ate. And so we would like basically sit in silence. <laughs> so I would take a bite of food and then dance for my family. <laughs> I just felt like I always needed to entertain and I always needed to share my thoughts. And when I found out that being cute and also being a good storyteller gets you things, I think that's what it was like the momentum that I needed to keep going. <laughs> so as long as I'm cute and as long as I have a good story to tell, I'm in good shape. Man, Milan's rules for life. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Let me think, formative years. Yeah, being in the shadow of my older sister, you didn't get to have your own stuff. Everything was hand-me-downs. I think that was also another thing that probably when I was able to have my own autonomy and have my own money, I need to carve out my personality and what it means to be me. I feel like my work is never done. I honestly love finding new ways to express myself and to live my life really authentically. And I think that also comes from being a middle child. Okay, you have stage fright, which nobody would ever guess about you. Every time you present at all hands, like it's everybody's favorite segment. So how did you get over that? And yeah, how do you deal with that today? Yeah, I went to an arts high school where you had to audition to get in and you are constantly being compared to other people who are just as talented as you. Before that, I'm the loudest and most creative person that I know. And then you go and it's so condensed with people that are all super talented and have these big dreams. In high school, I was never picked for any of the solos or any of the things that mean so much to you from there 
I developed a little bit of a stage fright of I'm not good enough because everyone else is so good. But I don't really let that stop me from doing things that I want to do because at the end of the day, I really enjoy having the spotlight. I feel comfortable when the eyes are on me, but right before I'm like, oh, this is going to be awful. So what I usually do, and this is before every podcast, this is before every meeting where I'm going to be talking a lot, is I literally run around my house. (laughs) I just do like zooms like a bunch and I like get all of my energy out. I like shake out my entire body. I like put on one song and it's different every time. But recently it's been Rasputin, that song. Ra, ra, Rasputin, that one. Yeah. <laughs> what a great song. Three minutes beforehand, I know that I put that on. And then by the time it's like, Milan, do the thing. I'm like, okay, everyone. And I can just be all loosey-goosey. I love knowing that about you and... Next time you go on stage at all hands, I'm going to be imagining you just zooming. Yeah. (laughs) And I do something really similar, actually. And now that I think about it, I did go through a pretty similar experience where I went to college and high school. I was used to being like classes were easy and you're one of the smartest kids. And then I get to college and I'm in a pretty hard major. And all of a sudden I'm just an idiot. Everyone is so freaking smart. Yeah. And they're so much better than me. And now, actually, before I have an intense meeting, usually now it's Zoom calls because it's the age of COVID, before pitching investors or something, I will actually sit down and play piano and sing at the top of my lungs just really badly, but it's so fun and releasing. So I'll do the exact same thing. That's funny. Yeah. I also over-rehearse everything that I do. It takes the pressure off and I like to ramble as I figure out my thought. So if I rehearse it, I take away some of that rambling. Yeah, I wish more people did that. I wish I did that more often. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, it's really time consuming. (laughs) It's not the best, but it gets the job done. My mom has a stutter and I have a little bit of that. So it helps me not stutter as much. I have never once in the many years I've known you noticed a stutter. Yeah, it's because I practiced. (laughs) She can't read a sentence without something triggering that and if I'm like on the spot and I'm trying to read I'm like okay remember your training (laughs) I've gotten over it I think that you just have to keep practicing and honestly this podcast has made me a better public speaker for sure I can see what I am trying to say but I also can really pay attention to some of the weird speech things I do You went to New York last year, and if I recall correctly, you went to like three Broadway shows in one short trip. Which shows did you see, and why did you choose those shows? My favorite musical is Company. It's a Stephen Sondheim musical. It's the same person who did Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd. And Company is my favorite because it's people-oriented more than it is about the razzle-dazzle which again, on brand for me, I love people's stories. So company is about this group of friends and it all gets centered around Bobby, who is single and everyone else is married. And so 
Bobby goes through this like kind of transformation of trying to figure out whether or not the original is a male Bobby, but the one that I saw was a female Bobby and they switched everybody's parts, which was actually pretty great. But the male Bobby, he's trying to figure out whether or not he wants to get married and spend his life with someone. And this is a musical that came out in the 70s. So that was around the time where it was okay to not get married. It was still a little controversial, but you could still understand or maybe you knew someone who was like contemplating whether or not to get married right away. And I found out about this musical when it was around the same time that my parents got divorced. So it was a way for me to really understand what marriage meant and what the commitment was. And why it was scary for someone to not get married. So it's always going to be my favorite. And I never got to see it until I went to New York. And it was absolutely amazing. It was great. I loved it. And it actually won the Tony for a Best Revival of a Musical. Yeah, that sounds like such a like a coming of age story too. Like you're trying yeah. to learn what it means to be an adult and what love means. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely changed my life. And Company was the first time that I got to do a solo. I did a song from Company and that's how I got introduced to it. Wait, where? Okay, back up. <laughs> well, was, it, were, was your school performing Company? Was it a talent competition? How did you come to be singing a song from Company? I went to a musical theater camp and they assigned solos to the best singers and so I got a solo and it was one of the songs from company and that went on to spark my interest to actually perform because at that point I wasn't really a performer I was just someone who liked musical theater and so I think my mom was like we're gonna drop you in this and see how you do and it really opened me up to the idea of becoming a performing artist or just being in the spotlight in general but that was probably one of my only solos that I got. Oh, no. I mean, so before COVID, you would perform. And if I remember correctly, it was your partner, Greg, would accompany you. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So Greg is a jazz pianist. He loves jazz. And that's one of the things that we kind of bonded over. Our first date was we had our little drinks and whatever. And you want to come back to my place? And I was like, sure. And then we watched Chicago together. <laughs> wow. Classic little date that we had going on. And still to this day, we're big musical theater people. We love musical theater and I love being able to share that with my partner. Yes, I have seen you spontaneously burst into song around Greg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have some very strong opinions about Korean dramas. Oh, okay. I... Went to Korea right before the pandemic and I loved it. Korea is probably the best country I've ever been to. I came back like, oh, wouldn't it be cool for me to watch a Korean drama? This was before Parasite came out. This was before Squid Game came out. I was just watching them because I was like, I like this country and I want to know more about it. I watched a lot of them and some of them I got through some of them I didn't I really enjoy how happy and 
sometimes very cheesy the world can be, even though they're living in our world, that it still is very like cartoonish. So every once in a while, if I need like a pick me up, I will definitely throw on a Korean drama. But I haven't watched it recently because it does take a certain amount of your time. You have to consistently watch something instead of being able to throw something on and hear it. You have to read the subtitles. But I still really enjoy it. It's still really fun. I also heard once that you attempted to watch a list of the 100 best movies of all time. Is this true? And did you get through the whole list? So here's the thing. I like to bite off a lot more than I can chew. I thought, hey, a hundred movies in one year, I can do that. Now, I don't know how to do math. And what I learned is you'd have to basically watch a movie every two to three days, roughly, to make sure that happens. Now... That's the reason why we didn't make it all the way through. Greg and I started at 100 and we made it all the way up to at least maybe 30, I don't know, something around, it was like a 30, 40 ringing. Wait, so you've only watched the best 30 to 100 movies, but not the top 30 movies of all time? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, if anyone wants to do this, don't do it. Or at least talk to me and I'll tell you which movies you should watch. Because some of those movies are trash. Oh, what's an example? What movie oh, is trash? Midnight Cowboy. Trash. Deer Hunter. Trash. Intolerance. Complete trash. Nashville. Nashville is trash. Now I know that there are going to be people who love Nashville and they're going to come after me. Because it's a country slice of life. And I'm sure there are truckers out here that are listening to it being like, that movie's great. It is not. And I'm sorry. You have a false memory on that. There are a lot of black and white silent films. They don't hold up. And there are some that really do. So if anyone's interested, please reach out. But I feel bad because I didn't even make it. It's okay. I'll make it some other time or maybe I'll watch it not with a time limit but just when I feel like it yeah just for fun okay I'm gonna take a hard left because there is a question I've been really wanting to ask you okay what is your favorite celebrity impression to do this is a question you have wanted to ask drivers so now I'm asking it of you oh god I was hoping that you weren't gonna ask this <laughs> do it do it do it well I don't have a good celebrity impression. I am terrible at impressions. Absolutely terrible. I'm really good hearing it and knowing what I need to do, but my mouth won't do the thing. So I'm like, oh, this person always says their O is weird, or this person says their A is like this. But then when it comes out, it's just awful. <laughs> but I have been getting really good at bird calls. I like to do crows and I like to do seagulls you relax your jaw and you allow your throat to fully open and then you use your the back of your tongue to just go back and forth and then you make this wonderful bird call now if I do this my dog will probably just be like what is this do it like, ah ah I mean, that's so good <laughs> that is a crow <laughs> 
What is Breezy doing right now? Her ears are perking out. She's very confused. But I randomly do this. If I see a crow, I will stop to talk to it to see what their reaction is. What? Yeah, I do this all the time. They like, they'll do it and then I'll do it back. And then we'll just have a conversation, even though I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure you're having a real conversation, like talking about like philosophy and math. And this crow is like, how does this human know how to speak crow? (laughs) Yeah, it's all practice. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, tell me more about Breezy. So I remember when you got her, I think it was right when COVID hit. And this dog is the perfect companion to you. She's so friendly and so nice. And she'd be a terrible guard dog because she will just lie over and want you to rub her belly. And she makes friends with everyone. I love Breezy. I'm not a pet person, but I'm so glad that I have Breezy because she is a wonderful companion. And actually, we just got her back from the grandparents because we basically have a dog timeshare with them because they love Breezy that much that they're like, when can we take your dog? I often say to people that she's always shopping for a new owner because she really can belong to anyone. She will go up to random picnics and just befriend you and hang out with you. She's just such a a, a social butterfly that it makes me feel shy. <laughs> oh man, she's the most wonderful dog. What else do you do in your spare time? Oh, I've experimented with a lot of different creative outlets. I've done like jewelry making and I've done photography. I was like a model for one point in time. <laughs> okay, okay, stop. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just wanted to see if I could do it, if I could coax someone into photographing me for money. <laughs> and it worked, which is wild. I've been a model for a couple of local clothing brands in San Francisco. Nothing too crazy. How did this happen? Do you like walk into the store and you're like, yo, want any models? I'm going to tell you the power of asking is real. You can basically ask to do anything. And most people will just say yes, because they're so into the idea of someone wanting to do with them. I know it sounds really dumb, but it's really how I've gotten to do a lot of crazy stuff is just asking. One of the reasons why my art was at Tartine is because I just asked them and they're like, yeah, (laughs) I was a model because I saw a clothing brand that, that I really resonated with. It's super colorful, super bright. And I was like, hey, can I be a model? And they're like, yeah. Wow. That is such a good life skill too. just asking. You can get so much in life. Yeah, you really can. And I continuously ask random people, collaborate with them. And I've always wanted to do, I have so many small, stupid daydreams to accomplish. And I'm about them. Yeah, I've always wanted to decorate window displays to make something eye-catching and make people stop and stare. And we don't really do that as much anymore as a culture. The only time I feel like we see them is during Christmas time. I wanted to finally get my license and to buy an old mail truck and deliver love letters to people. Oh, Milan, to go from not knowing how to drive to driving a mail truck around is next level. 
Yeah, this is a very specific goal. <laughs> Maybe when I'm retired and I have nothing better to do with my time and I'm collecting my pension or whatever, that would be my third act is <laughs> like being a love letter male person. Would you write the love letters? Would you poke people to write love letters like randomly? How would this work? In my head, it would be they saw the mail truck around and they'd be like, oh, I just call this number and or mail this thing to this person. And then I hand it to the person and say, hey, so-and-so wanted you to have this letter. I love good stories and I love being a part of really good and empathetic moments. And so it's really for me to be nosy in people's lives. <laughs> Would you read all the love letters? No, unless they want me to, unless they want me to read it for them. I'm just the person that is the facilitator. I'm just the male person. <laughs> Deliver via song, please. Yeah, I can do that too. If they want to do like a fun song, maybe there'll be another part of it where I'll deliver teddy bears or something like that. I've thought about it for many years. I want to paint it all pink and have like hearts all over the place and we'll be all cute and Instagrammable and blah, blah, blah. But yes, I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> That's fantastic. Back to the asking thing. It's such a good life lesson. And in starting True North, I have to get a lot more comfortable with asking basically all of my friends and former coworkers for money, which was very strange. Yeah. But as you do it more, it does get easier and you realize that people do want to help. Yeah. So... That's super cool. What is like the craziest thing you've ever asked for? Ooh, wow. Craziest thing I've ever asked for. Tartine is definitely up there. Let me think. It is wild, by the way, that the most famous bakery in all of San Francisco <laughs> let you present all of your paintings. Like you had, it seemed like 10 of them up there and the yeah. entire bakery was only Milan Allen originals, which is wild. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy when that stuff works because you do feel like you're invading someone's space and to ask, hey, can I have this up? And you don't know me at all. And you feel like you're committing some kind of crime. <laughs> the podcast was a crazy ask. I didn't think it was crazy at all. You're like, can I do a podcast? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought about it a while ago. Be cool if I had a podcast and I randomly interviewed people because I'm again very nosy, but it worked out. It makes me wonder if it's connected to my next question for you, which is you have said you maybe want to become a life coach in the future. You have so many life lessons for a young person, Milan. Tell <laughs> me about you maybe wanting to be a life coach at some point. Because I am a highly emotional person, a lot of people come to me for acceptance and validation for having feelings. So they might tell someone else, oh, I'm fine. But when they talk to me, they're like, I want to tell you that I'm not fine. Or maybe it's because I have a kind face. Maybe I like to ask the hard questions. I have the patience, but I give people a lot of tough love. And I don't really get to do that a lot at work, but I do it a lot in my personal life. Oh, you should do that more at work too. That could be fun. I can. I'm not going to be as sunshiny as I typically am, but I do give people a lot of tough love and I do it because I always see everyone as the shiniest person they can be. 
And what I want and what they want seems to be aligned. And so when they aren't being that, I feel like I have to tell them that. But a lot of people don't have the proper skills or the right mindset, or they're not aware of the kind of challenges that they put themselves in. And so I'm a very observant person. I love looking at the details of why people do the things that they do. So that's the reason why I felt maybe not now, because I'm not even 30 yet, but I've thought about it for quite some time. Basically, every part of my career has been devoted to people and creating a great experience for people. And so I'm going to take all of those skills and put it towards life coaching. Yeah, I could see you as a very good life coach. Random question. Have you heard Bo Burnham's I'm turning 30 or seen the video? Yes. It's the fucking best. Oh boy. So you're turning 31 though, right? I am. Yeah. I'm turning 30 this year in a couple of days. Oh my God. Yeah. Your birthday is one day after mine, August 30th, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have any 30 advice for me as I enter into my 30th year? Oh, God. I have noticed since I turned 30 that life in my 30s is so much more fun than life in my 20s. When I was in my 20s, I always dreaded turning 30 because that's when you become old, right? Uh, Yeah, sure. But now I look around and I know exactly who my friends are and who I want to spend time with. And I have some freedom still in my life to travel if I want to. I don't have kids yet. And I just do what I want when I want. And I'm less apologetic or ashamed about it. And I think my friends celebrate me when I do what I want. And I celebrate them when they do what they want. That's pretty fucking great. So I like myself a lot more in my 30s. Yeah. I felt like I've been 30 for five years now. (laughs) Other past Milans, they were nice. And I'm glad that they exist. But I'm like, you can go now. We don't need you. (laughs) And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I have some real good 30 plans. And what are some of those plans? Oh, God. Overall 30 plans, I would say keep asking questions, keep putting yourself out there. I barely have an art career, which is crazy, I know, because I've done a lot. So 30s is going to be me knocking on all of these doors. I mean, I just started painting a few years ago. Yeah, I started painting maybe three, four years ago. And you're already getting people to pay you. Someone bought my painting last weekend without even seeing it in real life it's never left my house wow so they saw a picture of it and they were like i want that one yes and then they bought it wild oh i'm so happy for you alon (laughs) you but yeah i would love to i've thought about having multiple careers and one of my careers is what if i was just an artist full-time yeah but i don't know i'm not ready for that yet (laughs) (laughs) we have so much yeah i'm not really worried about it Do you have any other careers you've considered? This will be no shock to you. One of the biggest ones I've thought of is being a food stylist for commercials and magazines. I've always wanted to do that because it's so fascinating. If you haven't seen food styling videos, you definitely should because they always have these like weird tips and tricks on how to make food look delicious. 
if you're shooting for like a magazine or you want that perfect pancake, right? So you put motor oil on top of the pancake, like the pancakes are real, but the motor oil is supposed to look like syrup. So every time you see it in a magazine, it's actually just motor oil. Wow. I feel deceived. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love the deception. They do stuff like when the burger looks like so good that you can like just eat it. The back of the burger looks like nothing because they pushed everything up front and they put like toothpicks in all of them. And so it oh, perfect. Yeah. Like I love stuff like that. That's why a burger never looks as good as it did. Exactly. Ad or picture or whatever. I see. I see. Yeah. And then they spritz it or one of those droppers to put that perfect little water on the lettuce to make it look fresh. All that stuff. Ugh. No pun intended. I eat it up. <laughs> it's funny. It's I guess it's a, there's an equivalency in like beauty, right? And modeling and airbrushing. It's just that for food, basically. I've thought about doing that. Oh my God. I've thought about doing so many. This is what happens when you're highly imaginative. You just spend a lot of time just daydreaming about what else can I do? Do you have a place you go to get you really in the mindset where your brain can just bounce around and roam free? It could be a physical place or like a routine, something that really gets you in that mindset. Yeah. When I try to paint, I like go to a lot of bakeries and I look at a lot of food. And so that's what I usually do when I'm on vacation. In fact, I'm going to Canada just to look at food. No way. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to Canada next week. <laughs> well, that's, wait, where are you looking at food? I'm going to all the patisseries. I'm going to the bakeries. I'm going to like eating a bunch of restaurants and things like that. I haven't been able to internationally travel since COVID. And so I'm really excited to be able to experience some new foods. My brain, my eyes need some new things to look at. So I'm really excited to be able to Go to Canada. And when you booked this trip, did you also market it to Greg as go look at food? Or was it say, let's go explore things? No, it's for food. Wow. So you told him he's like, all right, sure. I'll just eat a bunch of stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Vacations are good for a lot of things. I think for him, he's super into the architecture and design and museums and the culture. and. Look, I'm going to tell you, I like those things too, but I have scoped out every single bakery, restaurant around in the 50 mile radius and I'm done here. So I have to go somewhere else and be inspired and come back and be like, okay, I got to go and paint a bunch. So I'm at this point where yesterday I was trying to find something to paint and I'm literally painting one shrimp. Like that is the thing. One shrimp. Just is one. Is it like a cooked deveined shrimp or a whole shrimp? It's a cooked deveined shrimp. It's just one shrimp. Like a cocktail shrimp? I'm trying to picture this. It's literally just one shrimp in a background. I know it sounds weird, but like. <laughs> my brain is screaming at you to get out and do something else. I love it. I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I could see why you like New York too. Yeah. Where do you want to go on your epic dream road trip? And th this topic has come up because our podcast name is Let It Ride. And you've talked about doing ride-alongs with some of our customers. Imagine your dream road trip across America. Where would you go? 
Yeah. Okay. I would love to go to Grand Canyon. I've done the California coast, so I don't really want to do that. I would love to just go inland. I would love to experience once like in like middle America. Being a California kid, you see so many different kinds of landscapes. We have the desert and we have forests and we have a bunch of cities and hills and all that stuff. What I really want to know more about is the flatlands and the cornfields. And I want to hear people's stories and get to know everyone's like little slices of life. I've thought about doing a bingo thing for when I road trips because I have a feeling that I'm going to see certain things that I've always seen in movies. Okay, what are those things I must know? Yeah, okay, the cornfields definitely. The cornfield would be on there. World's largest blank would be on there. I know that they're the world's largest ice cream cones. I would love to see that, but world's largest blank will be enough. I'm sure there'll be something. Yeah, I want to go to a Piggly Wiggly. I've never been there. I've never been to a Cracker Barrel. You've never no. been to Cracker Barrel? No. Oh, they're my dad's absolute favorite thing. It sounds fun. And you can like, if you drive RVs, which a lot of retired truck drivers do, Cracker Barrels always have RV plugs where you can charge them. Okay. And they all have these like rocking chairs in the front and the food is decent and really cheap. It's quite good. Yeah. I want to go and experience that. Sometimes they have those museums where someone just collects stamps in their backyard or whatever. I want to do something like that. Just little small town things. I love the small town community. And that's something that I don't have as someone who's always grown up in cities. Yeah. Having lived in a few of those small towns, I've never lived in the middle of the U.S. I can say it's really flat, especially if you see corn, it's typically really flat. But yeah, it's, it's so different from the city. The air is so clean. You forget it being on the coast in the city, but if you go somewhere where there's no pollution, the air is just different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's just something to be gained to expand your worldview. Because when you're on the coast, you're the furthest as you can be from everyone else. And so being in the middle of America, I feel like I would be more inclined to understand other people's worldviews. Yeah, totally. Especially because most of our customers are not from cities. Yeah. If I were like somewhere in the middle of America, I'm sure I would meet them all the time. So I have two rounds of this or that. First is what you like to ask people. And then the okay. second is my special listener that I made just for you. Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. Window seat or aisle seat? Window seat. Early bird or night owl? I am a night owl. Cake or ice cream? Cake. Well, I know you make cake. Why, why would anyone ever choose cake? <laughs> coffee or tea? Tea. Oh, right. You don't drink coffee. Too wired for coffee. It would explode. If you had <laughs> call or text? Probably both, but honestly, I love a good call. Read the book or see the film? I am getting into reading the book. Mm. Disney or Nickelodeon? I'm probably a Disney kid. Marvel or Justice League? No, I don't care about any kind of comic book, any kind of Marvel or DC. I haven't seen any kind of comic 
Marvel movie since the first Squire Spider-Man. So hard pass. (laughs) Hard pass. PB&J or grilled cheese? PB&J all the time. Salsa or guacamole? Guacamole. Instagram or Reddit? Oh, Instagram to keep up my art stuff. Visual learner or a verbal learner? I'm a visual learner. Okay. And the final and most important one, I will judge you based on what you say. Carrot sticks or mozzarella sticks? Oh, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right I mean, here. come on. Waters chooses carrot sticks. We are people and I don't understand. You're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> Blows my mind. I know. Okay. Bread or pasta? Oh, God. I would say pasta. Art or music? Oh, no. I have to say art. Music or books? Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, music. TV or movies? TV. Summer or winter? Oh, summer. Oh, my God. You don't want to see me in the cold. I'm the worst. Does toilet paper go over or under? Oh, over. Clearly the right answer. Yeah, yes. Inside or outside? I would say outside. Breakfast or dinner? I barely have breakfast, so dinner. Okay, final question. My friend group almost broke up over this. Would you rather be blind or have no arms? And you can't like terminate your way to a solution, right? You can't like plug in arms or eyes. I would chop off my arms, my dude. I need to see stuff. I need to see things. And I saw a TikTok of a woman who can drive with her feet and put on her seatbelt in parallel park. And so if she can do it, I can do. She put on a seatbelt with her feet. I will send you the video. She is a very good driver, too. She's on the freeway and everything. Hang on. But you like need your feet to use a pedal. So does she steer with like her chest or her? No, she has one foot on the pedals. One foot drive. (laughs) All right. You must send me this video. I'll send it to my friend who very aggressively chose arms. Yeah. No, I need to see stuff. I need to be able to still paint and I can paint with my feet. Love that. <laughs> you can't top that. I have, I'm out of questions. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time. I know you're very busy. Oh, much fun. Yeah. Thank you for wanting to do it in the first place. Thank you for sharing so much about your life. I learned a lot about you and I've known you for years. So I, I hope the people who listen enjoy getting to know you a little better. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Let It Ride with True North. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend. For more information on how True North supports real owner operators like you just heard, follow us on Facebook at True North Transportation Co., find us on Instagram, or on our blog at truenorthfleet.com. Let It Ride with True North is a production of True North Transportation. This episode was edited, produced, and hosted by me, Milan Allen. See you next time.